This morning, we're going to talk again about Abraham. In fact, it was just a few weeks ago that we started a series of lessons on the life of Abraham. And we talked about that first lesson, that he was God's friend. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Then we looked at Genesis 18, verse 19, that powerful passage where God said, I have known him that he may guide his children and his household after him, that I may bring upon Abraham that which I have spoken to him. Speaking about Abraham being a great father. Then two weeks ago, we talked about how Abraham looked at Lot, his nephew, When there was strife there and he says, for we are brethren. And Abraham sought and pursued trying to be a brotherly type person. And you and I ought to pursue that as well. Well, this lesson this morning is Abraham guided by faith. And so in order for us to appreciate this, I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. This is one of those memorable passages which we ought to commit to our memory. Because the wise man Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You see, trusting in God is something so important because you and I have to realize we're not capable of ourselves of knowing the right way to go. Jeremiah would say in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. You and I are not knowledgeable enough. We are not wise enough. We are not good enough to be able to know the right paths to follow. And thus he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and not to lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So I ask, who guides your life? You may say, I make the decisions in my life. And in reality, that is true. But so many of us choose to allow other people and other things to guide us. How does that guiding work? If you say, the Lord is my guide, and we learn that he will direct our paths, Proverbs 3 and verse 6, how does that work? Well, Abraham was a man whose life was guided by his faith. So here's what we're going to do this morning in our lesson. We're going to begin with some explanations. I want to talk about faith, and I want to talk about guidance, and I want us to see how that works from a biblical perspective. Number two, I want us to look at some examples, primarily two from Hebrews chapter 11, where Abraham showed he was guided by faith. And then number three, to begin with some some encouragements that you and I need to live lives of faith. 
Let's begin now and look at Romans 4, verse 12. Paul, in the middle of the writing about how you and I are justified, looks back to Abraham's life and he looks back to the covenant that God had with him. And that covenant was one that was sealed by or marked by circumcision. And so he says, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only are the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which Abraham our father had while still uncircumcised. Now you can say, well, the the circumcision thing confuses me. Notice that phrase, walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had. He had steps of faith. It guided the decisions he made, where he went, what he said, how he lived. Faith in the Bible is defined and described. In the book of Romans chapter 4, Paul also says in verses 20 through 22, about Abraham, he did not waver through at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now listen carefully as he defines this. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham believed that when God made a promise to him, not only could God keep that promise, he would keep it. You see, it's one thing to be able to keep a promise. It is something else to be able to want to keep it. And God's promises are sure and certain. And Abraham believed them. When Paul was on the ship and the storm was tossing that ship about and all hope was lost, Paul says in Acts 27, 25, Therefore, take it to heart. I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. Whatever God has said, I believe he will keep it. Will God keep his promises? Either you believe that or you do not. When I get to Romans chapter 10... Paul continues with this idea of living by faith. And he says in verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You see, when I live by faith, it is when I listen to what God says. That's how that works. Well, how does God speak? You know, that's an important part of all of this. The Word of God, that is what guides our lives. Well, I want you to listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 6. He said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is what you and I have a longing for, a hope for, a desire for, And it is the proof, the substance of those things that we've not yet seen. Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, the faith that we're talking about is one that listens to God and says, I trust God that whatever he tells me, whether I can see it or not, it will be. When Paul was writing the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, really the end of chapter 4, verse 16, going all the way through chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, Wherefore we do not lose heart, though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day, and our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. He goes into chapter 5 and he says, We know that this earthly tent, this earthly house is dissolved. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then he dropped down to verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. That's Abraham. Here's a man, there's a promise been put out in front of him. He can't see the end and yet he does trust God. To walk by faith thus is to be guided by God's word. But how does God communicate to us? Does God look at me and look at you and say, okay, I'm going to put an idea in your head or in your heart. Or does God speak to us some other way? I want you to listen to Mary's song. You know when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said that she was favored among women, that she was going to bear a child? Following that, Mary had a poetic poem, if you will, or song. And in verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. God spoke to Abraham. But I want to know how God speaks. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 tells me, God, who at various times and in various ways in time past spoke to the fathers by the prophets, By the prophets. What that means is when God wanted to address a person, he sent a spokesman to the people. That's what a prophet was. And whether you're looking at former prophets like Elijah and Elisha, or you're looking at the latter prophets and you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, You are looking at men who God chose to send. And he sent a man like Moses who delivered his law to Israel. But verse 2 says, Has in these last days spoken to us through his Son. That is through Jesus Christ and his testament. You know what that is, don't you? That's Matthew through the book of Revelation. That is the way God speaks to us. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but he speaks to us through his son. And what is the message? According to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith. And you can go to the New Testament 
to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now listen to verse 17 on the screen. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's revealed. Well, Paul, how does God reveal himself? Through this word, just like he delivered to the Romans. Hebrews 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Either you listen to God and you follow his word and you're guided by it or you are not. And thus that leads us to the examples. I've tried to explain how this idea of being guided by faith works. Let's look at it specifically in the life of Abraham. And there's going to be two examples. They're both going to come from Hebrews chapter 11. And let's look, first of all, at Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 8 through 10. And we're going to see how Abraham walked by faith and not by sight. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now I want you to think very carefully with me about what was said about Abraham. He went out not knowing where he was going. When Abraham was called, he was in Ur of the Chaldees. If you want to know where that's at, that's Nasiriah, Iraq today. That's in the southern portion of Iraq. He went north all the way to Haran, which is now southern Turkey. And he dwelt there, and then ultimately he left and made his journey to the promised land, first coming to Shechem, then Bethel, where he built altars to God. But the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us here that he went out Not knowing where he went, God told him, I'm going to give you a land of promise. What a wonderful promise that was. Was it fulfilled in the physical land? Well, he trusted God for the promise of an inheritance. He trusted God that there would be a place, but that place was somewhere beyond the physical land. How do I know it's beyond the physical land? Because he, along with Isaac and Jacob, dwelt in that land, but they confessed that they were just simply strangers and pilgrims. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. It's a song that we sing. And you listen to... Abraham and Sarah along with Isaac and Jacob 
in verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them and embraced them that they and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be their, call their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Do you see the picture of Abraham walking by faith? Oh sure, he made that long journey from Ur to Haran and from Haran to the promised land of Canaan, but oh, that's not where Abraham was headed. Abraham was headed for heaven. You see, because of what God had promised, he wanted to walk by faith. I like the way verse 13 talks about having seen them afar off, been assured of them, the trust in God that you can always depend upon Him, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Boy, doesn't that apply to us as well. Now let's look at verses 17 through 19 in this same chapter. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence he received him in a figure, or a figurative sense. Notice it says Abraham here was tested. The word tested there cares with the idea you put something under some observation and you see if it meets the test or not. Did Abraham pass the test that God placed him under? Here's what God told him to do. Abraham, take your son, your only son. Offer him as a burnt offering. You go to Genesis 22, verses 10 through 12, and Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, God said, I know that you now pass the test. Did Abraham believe what God told him? We said, what, what did God tell him? In Isaac, your seed will be called. Isaac's just a young lad. He's a young man. He's not married He's not already begotten his firstborn child. Isaac is a young fellow. And yet God had said to Abraham, In this young man your seed will be called. Abraham was able to reason. If God said my seed is going to go through this child and I've got to slay this child, 
God can bring him back from the dead. He believed that both he and Isaac would return after the burnt offering. You say, well, how do you know that he believed that? Genesis 22, verse 5, And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Abraham spoke even to the servants that he had that we're going to come back. Now the last part of that phrase is very interesting. Said that he received him back in a figurative sense. The original word here is the same word that's translated parable in the gospel accounts. You know about the parables. In fact, I spent all week teaching about parables in uh, Pikeville. The word parable means you throw something down beside it as a comparison. If it's a parable of the soils, you place wayside soil, you place the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil, and you compare that to the way people receive God's word. How does there a comparison here between what Abraham did and what God did? He said, you offered your only begotten son. Was Isaac Abraham's only son? You say, well, no. He had Ishmael. Later on with Keturah, he's going to have others. But you see, Isaac is unique because Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the begotten son of Sarah. God promised son was Jesus Christ. You and I, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, for all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We can be sons of God, but not the Son of God, the one who's unique, the Son of promise. So there's a sense in which Isaac, like Jesus, was the Son of promise. There's also a comparison in the sense of coming back from the dead and living was what Isaac did and what Jesus did on the cross. I think there's a lot of other comparisons you might be able to make as well. You remember when Abraham and Isaac went up to the Mount Moriah to offer that offering? That Isaac was the one who bore or took the wood? Jesus bore the cross to Calvary in the sense that he was the one who had to carry the cross? Oh, you start saying, oh, I can see now all these parallels, this parable, if you will. But I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that Abraham trusted God's promise and did what God told him to do. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, let's go to the third part of the lesson, and that is encouragement. You know, I think it's wonderful to be able to see the Scriptures and what they teach with regards to the life of Abraham. 
I think it's important that you and I see that he lived a life guided by faith. But in reality, what does that do to us? How does that affect our lives and the choices you and I make? We don't know what the future holds. When Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, he didn't know what Haran would look like. He didn't know what the promised land would look like. But he trusted God and he didn't know the future. You know, the truth is, you and I don't know what the future is going to look like either. I don't know what tomorrow may bring, sunshine or rain. I want you to listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 6, and then chapter 9 and verse 11. He said, in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You know, a few months ago, some of you chose to put various seeds in the ground with your expectation that, I hope I get a good crop of corn, I hope I get a good crop of beans, I hope I get a good crop of purple whole peas. Uh, There's things that you have a desire. But you know what? When you plant it, you don't know whether you will get a good crop or not. You don't know if everything will do good or only some things. He said either this or that or both alike will be good. But you plant in prospect, in hope of what will come. If you don't plant, you won't get anything. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11 says, I returned and saw that under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all. Every one of us have seen situations in life where you have a desire, you have a prospect, you have a wish. doesn't always turn out like you expect it to. No matter how much you want it to. When you go to James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such city, spend a year and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will both do this or that. Now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And you say, what's your point in all this? The point is, we ought to keep the Lord in our plans All the time. That ought to be the goal of saying, what does the Lord want me to do? We may not know the future, but we know Him who holds the future. I think about the people in Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah had told them, God is going to send you into captivity. But he said, it's only going to last 70 years. And in chapter 29 and verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
Chapter 31, verse 17, this, is, this hope is your future, says the Lord, that your children will come back to their own border. Let me ask you a question. What does your future look like? I don't know what tomorrow may be. I don't know what five years, ten years may be. But I know one thing, that if you do what God tells you to do, you will go to where God said you will go. Which leads me to the second encouragement. Abraham had a destination, and he trusted God for the directions. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll look, notice verse 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Verse 4 goes on to say, And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas is going to respond, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way. Where is your destination? Where do you want this to end? How do you want to finish? And you say, well, I think I'm just going to do what I think is best. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I can't rely upon myself. I can't rely upon my own intuition. I can tell you what I have done, and I'm sure many of you is the same, and that's you've had a destination in mind and thought that you knew the way only to find out you didn't know the way. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible shows us where we are, the direction we're headed, any course corrections that we must make. But you might say, but I'm looking at this and the way is difficult and the way is challenging. Oh, it is. In fact... Jesus said it would be that way. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Oh, I can tell you that if you choose to listen to God, there will be some tough times. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Matthew 5.12 says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there's, a, there's difficulty in this way. But look where it ends. That's why Abraham was guided by faith. Hebrews 10.34 These were people who accepted the plundering of their goods because they knew they had a better and an enduring possession in heaven. Wow, what a powerful man's example. 
guided by faith. But it was an active faith that saved him. Responding to the promises of God, focusing on what God told him to do. And we're ready to sing the invitation song this morning. I hope you'll get your songbooks. I hope you'll sing out. And I hope that if you need to become a child of God, you'll be obedient to the directions given by our Lord. He said, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins, John 8 and verse 24. So the first thing you've got to do is believe that He is the Son of God. He calls upon you to repent of your sins. That means a godly sorrow followed by a change in your life. He calls upon men to confess Him. That is to say, as the eunuch did in Acts 8 verse 37, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then to be baptized for the remission of sins. Jesus taught for the disciples to go and preach that, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Peter, when he was given the privilege of preaching on the day of Pentecost to a group of people he had been preaching, he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If you are already a Christian, having done those things, sin lives in your life and you've not been walking by faith, we can pray with you and for you this morning. If you desire to come, would you come as together we stand and sing.